Thank you for being here today, and I hope that uh, your investment of your time is going to be well worth it as we get into God's Word. I appreciate Rick. I was glad I could sit under him last week and hear him teaching. I, I appreciated uh, not only the instruction, but the pastoral heart that I heard from that last week. And uh, so we are blessed here, and I thank God for those who are serving the Lord here in full-time ministry. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this. Father, thank you for these moments together that we can have and share. And as we look into your word, I pray that you will instruct us and help us to see ourselves one way or the other in this text, but help us to see most of all our God, our sovereign God, who loves us, who cares for us, who has redeemed us at such a great price, and, and who brings judgment on those who reject him. And so, Father, uh, may you bless these moments together, bless our pastor later as he preaches to us, and may you be glorified on this Lord's Day. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so you see there, take a good look at that picture uh, of an Egyptian god, and you will see that he has his staff, and what else is there beside the Egyptian god? There's a snake. I don't think I've ever seen a snake quite like that that rises up. And I think he's sticking his tongue out at him, isn't he? I, I don't, I'm not sure what that is. But uh, nevertheless, I thought at least they have something like that. Because we're going to talk about the hand of God versus the heart of Pharaoh on this day. So, are you ready to get into plagues? Well, I'm glad you're not because that's not where we're starting here. Because after last week, um, we were interrupting we have this great story going along and then and then rick dumped on me the fact that there is a genealogy here so we got to do something with the genealogy right i mean uh, why why is a genealogy here and 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 what an exciting way to start your morning it's almost like if i were to get up here and read the obituary column you know uh so i i hope that there's some excitement by the time i finish if, if for nothing else, did I finish on the genealogy? But it's not the whole time. So let's, let's work through this genealogy a little bit here. This genealogy is a bit unusual. And um, let me tell you why it's unusual. And a uh, few observations. Number one, it is a limited genealogy. And it mentions only the first three sons of Jacob. I know you're disappointed that not all the sons are there and all. And why aren't they? And I'm sure they are upset by the fact that they didn't appear again in Scripture here, but only the first three sons. And there must be a reason for that. What about the other nine? Well, second, the two oldest sons, Reuben and Simeon, you know, firstborn, secondborn, these are really important, but they're given a minimum space as the eldest sons, in order to get to a more important matter. Well, what's more important than the firstborn and the secondborn, right? But third, Levi's line provides details for the next five to six generations right here in the middle of the Exodus story. Why is that? Um, we need to, to, to get to know this third-born son, Levi, and his line for a particular reason. The offspring here, as you see on the third bullet point here, takes us up into the days of Joshua and even Judges, as Phinehas, that is mentioned in this genealogy, appears in the book of Numbers and Judges as well. And the next time we find Phinehas' name is in Numbers 25-7. He isn't even born when the actual exodus appears. So, so you say, why, why all this peripheral information about the, this? Uh, he only comes at the end of the world his wanderings. So Moses records this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God for a reason, and several things should be remembered as you read this genealogy. First, this links us back to the covenant promises made to God's people through the patriarchal ancestors, reassuring Israel of God's faithfulness. All right, God has been faithful. And these, uh, this goes back to Jacob, who came over here to Egypt originally. So we're, we're going back to the very roots of where all of this started. 
But God has been faithful through all those years. And this also continues, as you see in the second bullet, to reveal the outworking of God's saving purposes in history. See, God's weaving this in for you so you can see his hand, his fingerprints all over this. Moses puts everything in his divine and historical perspective. He's bringing us up to speed and beyond of what's going to be happening here. But more importantly, this affirms the identities of the main characters that now we're going to be involved with over the next, what, six chapters at least. Uh, If you... uh, Look here, God has appointed Aaron and Moses, and that's where the focus begins with Aaron and Mocus, a focus, what does it say, Mocus? Aaron and Moses as fit and legitimate leaders uh, for the people of God. God appointed leaders for his glory. And the text of Exodus 6, 26 and 27 confirms this. This tells you why it's here. Look at those verses. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. You see how he's specific? All right, all right. Here's your two leaders, Israel. Here's the two men that God has appointed and chosen to be over you, and they are Levites as well which doesn't have any significance at this point until you get to the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But this is all preparatory for us here. And one other interesting tidbit at the bottom of this. Aaron is related by marriage to Nashon, if you look at verse 23 of your text. And please do open your Bibles. There are several times today I'm going to quote. It will not be on the screen. So uh, Exodus, we're in Exodus chapter 7. Right now I'm in 6, though. And bringing up a couple of things. So he is the leader of the tribe of Judah. What is the tribe of Judah doing in this mix where only uh, Reuben and Simeon have been mentioned and now Levi, but all of a sudden there's this insertion of somebody else. You see, this connects Aaron and Moses to the line of David. Okay, the house of Judah, which connects us with the line of Christ. And so there are priestly and kingly uh, foundations that are being laid here for us to be aware of for later on. And there are other questions that could be raised about this genealogy, but I think you've, you've gotten a picture of that, so we're going to move on. So let, let's get uh, any any. Questions about the genealogy? Anybody want to dwell on that for a minute? Paul, I knew you would have a question. What? Moses? They are, they are, yes, they are members of the house of Levi. It's correct. Yeah. Okay. Boy, there's a lot more interesting questions we could ask than that. I, uh, thank you for asking a simple question, Paul. Okay, so let, let's do backtrack just a tad now to get a bit of review, put us in perspective with where we were when Rick ended last week. Moses is struggling with everything that has happened so far because he's gone to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has said, uh uh-uh, not going to do that. So he has a sense of his own inadequacy with Pharaoh's initial reaction to his request to let the people go. And he said no, with additional hardships of suffering that brought uh, his people that are now enduring because he has went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, okay, I'm going to put my thumb down harder on the people of God. And so Moses takes that personally, and any of us would. And, and then uh, his own people, Israel has been angrily rejecting and cursing him for their leader. Why did you bring this on us? Why did you come back here? You failed the first time, you're failing again. All right, and then with his own hard questions to God, he directed to God saying, why? Why did you do this, God? Uh, You know, things are totally out of control here. Well, God continues, though, in spite of all that, in spite of all the baggage, he continues to simply graciously, directly assure this man that he is called to do this job of who's in charge. You look back in chapter 6, verses 2, 6, and 8, three times. 
I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Don't forget that of his covenant promises in those verses six to eight, seven times. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God says, I will do this. Have compassion for the people. You think I haven't seen the people's groaning and heard the people's groaning? I have heard the people's groaning. I know what's going on. And of his commitment to deliver them from the oppression of Pharaoh. God says, I will bring you out. I will deliver. I will redeem. Okay? So, come on, Moses, get with the program. Moving then to chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Quick look here at this overview. Uh, this is something we have seen already happening, and yet again, this is a new thing because look at the first point. There is a recommission to Moses where God says, Moses, you are to speak. You are going to be the spokesman. You may say, I'm not eloquent, but you are going to be the spokesman. He says here in verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people go out of this land. Moses, that's the message. That's what you've got to do. It hasn't changed. And you're to relate to this Pharaoh all of what I have said. Simple, straightforward. Earlier, when Moses had tried to make an excuse for his disobedience back in chapter 4, he said, I am not eloquent, right? You remember that? Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. What did God said then? I've made your mouth. I've given you my words. I will teach you what to say, and I will deliver my word as I gave it. Aaron's going to be your prophet. We've heard all this before. So there is the task. This is the mission before you. Your job is, is just one word. Obey. That's all you got to do. Just obey. And then next, point two, we see the reaction Moses, let me tell you again, Pharaoh will not listen. You go and tell him this, he's not going to listen to you. Understand that. Apparently, Moses kept missing the point, though, because God is here repeating it. Look at verses 3 and 4, chapter 7. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So you deliver the message. That's your responsibility. Pharaoh will resist you. It's a matter of his heart. He's got a hard heart. But I will do great things before his eyes. And yet he's still not going to listen. You see, success in life for Moses was not always the way we would define success. We would define success as getting things done. Clicking, clicking it off. Okay, I got that done, got that done. Okay, we got the people lined up. We got the people ready to go. Pharaoh says yes. All right, that would be success. God says no. Success is faithfulness. Obey. Do what I say. I'm going to take care of the rest. You do what I tell you to do, and then you'll see me work. I, I once read a book a long time ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what God is looking for in our lives, a long obedience in the same direction, doing what God has called us to do. And, and so that's why God stresses the importance of faithfulness. Third thing, there's a reassurance here in verse 4. Moses, you're to watch. Just open your eyes. You're going to see amazing things. Verse 4, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Watch what I'm going to do. My people are going to be delivered. This is my promise. This is my plan. Do you trust me, Moses? I've got this. Then verse 5, the fourth one here. And the result of all this? The Egyptians, Moses, will know. They're going to know. That becomes a key word we've already seen a lot. You're going to see it a lot more. Look at verse 5. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. 
when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God is putting an exclamation point on his divine purpose in all of this, and that is to make himself known. In the end, therefore, we will either surrender our hearts and lives willingly to a benevolent king, or we will surrender our hearts and lives to a sovereign conqueror who will judge us. And in the end, I just want to assure you, in the end, God wins. God wins. God always wins. So, this morning we're going to begin a walk through the debris of repeated and relentless disasters that were once heaped upon the single nation, in other words, Egypt. And it all started because of the arrogance of one man who defied the God of creation, and the God of creation turned creation back upon the man. That's what you're going to see here as God is going to reverse the creation process of Genesis 1 on this man. And God did so with a purpose, and that was to bring about the redemption of his own people who were suffering under this wicked oppression. So, let's see. Here, first of all, there's going to be, I'm not sure I'll make it through all the way today, um, and I don't have to because the next two weeks are dedicated to these plagues. We're going to see, first of all, a king unmoved. He's unmoved by anything. He is so callous and hard. We've already seen this back in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Rick dealt with that uh, previously in a couple of weeks ago. But also here again in chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Already God has mentioned this. So here's an 80-year-old man who's confronting a 20-something-year-old 20 who is king. And he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. And Pharaoh, second bullet point, response reveals his own pride, his hardness of heart. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know. It's Yahweh you're talking about. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. So though Pharaoh's heart would remain hardened and obstinate, he will not listen to Moses. God guarantees Moses that deliverance will surely come because of these great acts of judgment. Chapter 7, verse 4. So then, he said, the Egyptians shall know, just as we, we just mentioned this. They shall know. They shall come to know me and who I am. So this is the turning point of both judgment and redemption. Uh, this, this is interesting because... These same plagues that come upon Egypt, we're going to see that there's going to come a division where it's not on the people of God. Because when God brings down his hand, for one, he will bring judgment. For another, he will bring deliverance. As Paul says, to one, it's a savor of life to life, and to the other, it's a savor of death unto death. And that's what we're going to be seeing here. But in these moments now, look at verse 6 then. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Don't you love uh, that double whammy there? You know, they, they did it. And they really did it. They obeyed God at this moment. And what happened? What would become of this man who ridiculed God, who resisted God, who rejected God? So let's see here at our second point. A judgment unleashed. And this is 7, 8 through 10, 29. Again, we probably are not going to get through 10, 29 today. I'll do my best to do as far, get as far as we can. So, verses 8 through 13. If you're in chapter 7, look there. Verses 8 to 13 of chapter 7 are, in effect, a prologue that sets the stage for what follows. When Pharaoh taunts God's messengers a second time with that demand... He says there in verse 9 in your Bible, Prove yourselves, Pharaoh says, by working a miracle. All right, show me a miracle. Give me a sign. Does it sound like what people said to Jesus when he was here? I want to see a sign, and then I'll believe Aaron does just that with his staff becoming a, a serpent. And you know what Pharaoh's reaction is when suddenly a staff becomes a serpent? Ooh. Oh, that's, that's good. Magicians. He calls in his magicians to do the very same thing. And his magi- Look at verses 11 and 12. 
they do the very same thing. They produce snakes using their sacred arts. By the way, let me just make a mention here of this word, sacred arts, in the Hebrew. This, this does not necessarily refer to demonic powers. It could just simply be subtlety, deceit, trickery of some sort. Um, it's like a magician who I, I, I dabbled in that for kids for a while and did some things for my kids and grandkids and stuff. Uh, so I've done that. And, and when we were just recently on this trip, there was a night in which the cruise director did a whole hour of magic show. It was hilarious. It was great. I mean, he even put his hand inside something and it came out different. Put his hand in again, it came out different. Put his hand in again, it came out. So, so just like Moses, you know, tri- tricker, tricky guys like this can do whatever they want. But here's the important point of this first sign. They produce snakes too, right? Look at verse 12, though. Aaron's staff swallowed up the serpents that Pharaoh's men produced. Now, it was a demonstration of the power of God as well as a subtle, maybe not so subtle, front to Pharaoh whose emblem of power and rulership was a serpent, just like in that first slide that I showed you. This incident, by the way, served as a forecast for something. It would, it would happen at the end of the story when Pharaoh's armies, do you remember what the song of Pharaoh says about the armies of Pharaoh, what happened to them? They were what? Swallowed up. It's the very same word that's used here. So you've got a picture at the start and a picture at the end of them being swallowed up, and that's the only two times that word will appear in the book of Exodus. That's why I know Moses, in his mind, as he's writing this, he's connecting all that. Well, I saw them swallow up snakes, and they swallowed up Pharaoh as well. And yet this young king is unmoved. Verse 13, his heart is hardened again. And as a result, the plagues are unleashed upon Pharaoh and his kingdom in unparalleled form in human history. The text itself even says that. If you look at chapter 9, verse 18, chapter 9, verse 24, it says, no one's ever, ask your father or your grandfather. They've never seen anything like this before in human history. So plague after plague will relentlessly fall upon the land of Egypt with ever-increasing intensity, month after month, with devastating effects. And these are not random events. These are not simply natural catastrophes. I, I, it's interesting that in, in my reading before going on this trip with Kathy, and, and we, were, we were going all over the, the Aegean Sea and then down to the Greek Isles, and one of the places that we went was Santorini. You don't want to see it. You you. White and blue stuff all over the place. It is, you know. Anyway, interesting in reading this, that Santorini is based, comes out of a volcano. There's a caldera there, which means it's the, the volcano has created this thing. So there, there's Santorini, which is actually called Thera, and, and it's got like a crescent moon shape. And then there's another piece over here, and there's another piece over here. You can see the circle. And then there's an island in the center of it, which has hot springs that you can go out and swim in. Wouldn't you like to swim in a volcano? Because the volcano is still active. Okay? So, so <clears throat> you know, here, here we are out there. And as I was reading about that before we went, I read about the eruption that happened in the 15th century that then created this upheaval that may have accounted for the parting of the Red Sea with Moses. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. That was amazing. The Isle of Crete is like, what, nine hours cruising to get to five? Five hours cruising. It got there in fifth. The, the, the tsunami from that at Santorini got there in 15 minutes. It was powerful, but this is not a natural event. None of these things are a natural event. This is the hand of God. So, uh, you've got a handout in front of you. We'll just take a quick look at that. This is something for you to, nope, wrong handout. 
I had a handout somewhere. Well, I've got it here. Oh, you picked it up? Oh, I got more for you. I got more for you. Okay, so this handout comes, if you look at the bottom, <coughs> from Dwayne Garrett's book, A Commentary on Exodus, released by Craigle. It's a really very good uh, commentary, released by a guy who is an expert in Hebrew, has written a number of Hebrew grammars and so on. So it goes r- really very much in-depth, um, challenging reading, but it's interesting reading. And what he has done here <coughs> is show the progress of the 12 miracles. What he is doing he is including the, the staff to a snake as one of the signs and miracles because it was. We always think of ten plagues. Well, there were, these were signs and wonders, not just plagues. I think the word, actual word plague only appears once in the text. So <clears throat> he is talking about all the miracles that happened, including the Red Sea incident. So that's what you're looking at here in this. And if you'll notice, the intensity on the far left, it starts out with warnings. <clears throat> the first one with the staff and the serpent was a warning. Then, and that, that'll include two events, uh, the snake and the Nile. The Nile was also, and I'll show you how that was a warning. Then there's misery. Things come in that just disrupt society, disrupt your life. Of the frogs, the mosquitoes or gnats, flies, Then there's economic loss and physical affliction that come next through the livestock, skin ulcers, hail, locusts. And then finally, death with the darkness, the firstborn, and then Yom Suf, that's Red Sea. So we've got all that. He gives you the meanings there and the response, the unique things that are happening in each one. I thought that might be helpful for you to have something like that. Uh, you'll notice it didn't put what God's coordinate with which plague because <clears throat> I'm not going to press that. I've, I've got charts on that kind of thing, like right here. The gods that match up with each one, supposedly, but then when you start going through, well, how do you connect that God with that? How do you connect this God with that? Sometimes it's a stretch. So I'm not going to go that far. Where it's obvious, I'm going to mention it. But if you want to see the other sheet, you certainly may. I'll bring up some other things. So there, that's your handout. <clears throat> so let's move in here and uh, see what happens. What frames everything is death, the death that occurs on the Nile and then the death that will happen with the firstborn. So, so here, this is the cloud that hangs over all of this. So here, uh, first point, what, what happens throughout is a battle the gods of Egypt. So we know that is true. But there's only 10 plagues, 12 plagues, however you want to look at it. You know how many gods there were in Egypt? 1,500 plus. Okay, that's why the scripture looks at it just as saying it's against the gods of Egypt. All those gods. And they, you don't even see a name of any god in the text. And yet, he's fighting the gods of Egypt. And you know who the, one of the prime gods of Egypt was? Ra. That's very good. He is Ra, Osiris, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the son of Ra. Okay? And so, therefore, he's a god. And so, this battle of the gods also includes Pharaoh. We're going to see that. So, look at these verses. <clears throat> Numbers 33, on the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all the firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. So make no mistake, this is a strike against the gods. It's a strike against Pharaoh. It's a strike against that wickedness. Exodus 12, 12, we're going to see at the very end of all of these, he writes this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. There is no other God besides me. We're going to see that coming up too. So more than that, it is a battle against Pharaoh because he does see himself as a sovereign and a sovereign God. And who is this Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh. Who is he? 
So let's go to the first plague. <clears throat> the Niles turned to blood. Verse 15. God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the brink of the Nile to him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. Now, why is he going out to the Nile this morning? Is he going out to take a bath? Is he going out to take a walk? I, I think probably uh, from the rituals we know, he's going out first thing in the morning to make his morning offerings to his gods. He himself being a god, he, he also respects the other gods. He goes out uh, as the morning sun rises to, to look upon Ra and, and worship him. He's going out there, but he's about to meet something else. So, uh, here, in the first plague, the Nile is turned to blood before the very eyes of Pharaoh. And it's a fitting judgment, when you think about it, to start with, for a king who used the Nile to kill the Hebrew children back in Exodus 1. But it's also meant to challenge the superstition that the Nile was the bloodstream of Osiris. So, Osiris is the one who brought this, and, and then it, the alluvial waters, when it flooded, would then make the land fertile, and they, they could grow up. So all of our life, we're indebted to Osiris, and he's given us his bloodstream. And so what does Pharaoh do? Uh, what, do what does Moses do? God has him to turn the Nile into blood. And he says, verse 17, you see it here, God says, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. I control that river. I control all the earth. And, and here it says, by this you shall know. The word you is singular. This is direct, directed right at Pharaoh. All right, this is for you. You've come out this morning to worship your God, bathe yourself, whatever you're going to do here. Uh, God has a message for you. God is Yahweh. He controls all. For seven days... All the fish died. You ever been around dead fish? Mm, I wish I could kind of had some kind of thing where I could fill the air for you so you, you really get the feel of what, what it's like to be in these plagues. For seven days, this goes on. The odor had to be awful. And water now was not available from the Nile or from their regular wells, or from even their canisters where they had water. They had to go and dig new wells. They say, well, if all the water, but don't, I, I didn't do the miracle. I didn't do what, I, you know, God, whatever. God, God was gracious. That's the way I put it. Because they could still dig down and find water, but they're going to have to work for it. And by the way, the, the Egyptians, from what I've read, were uh, outstanding engineers in, in in developing that. So, notice verse 23. Don't you think that should have gotten his attention, this very first thing? But it says, he did not take it to heart. Interesting phrase. His heart is the problem. That's my problem. That's your problem. Our hearts. Oh, wait a minute. Where did that come from? Let's see, what's our next thing? Chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Uh, oh, it's about frogs. Here's a picture of a frog. Ever, ever thought of a frog as a god? Ever want to cuddle up with a frog? Chapter 8, verse 1. God instructs Moses to go to Pharaoh and call for God's people to be released or else another sign and wonder was going to come. Frogs. A lot of frogs. Swarms of frogs coming up from the Nile. Eight, one through three. I, you've got to read it and feel it. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that come up into your house and into your bedroom and into your bed. 
and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading troughs or kneading bowls. Can you imagine suddenly one day that frog come from? Get out of the house. Oh, wait a minute. There's some over here and over there. They're everywhere. Sparky, get in here. Get these frogs out of here. So go upstairs, go to the bedroom, hide yourself. I'll get rid of the frogs. Ah, there's frogs up here. <laughs> well, get under the covers, under the covers. Something's moving in the bed. Really, can you imagine? Janet says she can imagine that. I, we need to do some extermination somewhere there. Um, so. Frogs are everywhere, and this is that reversal of creation. Man was put in dominion, okay, and now is no longer under their dominion. God has reversed creation, and creation is coming back on Pharaoh. Pharaoh's magicians are asked to duplicate the miracle. There should be a question right now that somebody wants to ask. How they do that? That's not the question I would ask. Why? <laughs> you got frogs over there. Why do you want more? And, and why did he do that? Because he, he wanted to kind of disprove Moses. We can do that. That's just a little parlor trick you've got. Oh, really? With everywhere? But nevertheless, he has them do it. And, and that was dumb. And Pharaoh realized it. And so he called in Moses, verse 8. 8-8. Eight, eight. He says, you know, I... I be relieved, and, and please relieve me of all this. And <clears throat> Moses, by the way, is, is showing himself to be different now. And he's very gracious to Pharaoh. Look at the wording here uh, in verse um, 9. Be pleased to command me when. It's not, you know, when would you like this? God's in control. So, when would you like this? And Pharaoh says, um, tomorrow? Is that good enough? <laughs> tomorrow? How about right now? Pharaoh's wife choked him when he got home. I'm sure. I'm sure of that. It's not in the text, but I'm sure it happened. Why tomorrow? Kathy's dad, who was a great, great preacher, wonderful man of God for many, many years, lived to age 98, was preaching up to the time he was 96 years old, powerfully. Uh, he had a sermon on this. He called it One More Night with the Frogs. <laughs> One More Night with the Frogs. <laughs> but you know what? Why, why do we tolerate certain things in our lives? Saying, you know, one more, one more, one more, one more. One more night with the frogs. Uh, that's a great sermon. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but what's happening here, when he asks when, he wants Pharaoh to see that God, Yahweh, is in control. And you can tell me the exact time, and it'll happen at the exact time. And it does. In answer to the prayer, Moses prays to God, take away the frogs, and the frogs croaked. Sorry. They died right where they were. And look at verse 14. Verse 14 is a very interesting verse in how it expresses this. It says, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Stink, stank, stunk. Every, everything just stink. They, and in the Hebrew, it just says, heaps, heaps. That's all it says in Hebrew. Heaps, heaps. Everywhere you look, heaps of frogs, dead frogs. You ever seen a dead frog? Ever smelled a dead frog? Not, not good. <coughs> so, Pharaoh's heart, though, hardens, even though... God rids him of the frogs. So, next. I think I should have been showing you some things here, shouldn't I? Sorry about that. Okay, the next. Third plague. Swarms of gnats or some people think it's mosquitoes. I think on your sheet it'll say mosquitoes. All we know is from the Hebrew word, it doesn't say gnat. Uh, it's a word about an insect that bites. And so it's something like a gnat or a mosquito or some other 
critter like that. So his third plague comes abruptly, abruptly as a quick and final blow in the first series of three. There's actually three series of three here that seem to be linked together. And Aaron's staff, he is told to strike the sands of Egypt as God has commanded him, and all the dust becomes gnats, mosquitoes, these biting bugs. And, and this incident served as a foretaste for, for, for other things that was going to happen, that the lamb was going to be thick with all this, because there's lots of dust in Egypt. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. Um, I, as I grew up, <coughs> I grew up in North Carolina and in South Carolina, and um, back in the 1950s, my grandparents, the Langfords, who lived in North Carolina, uh, they were builders. And J.E. Langford and Sons, he had two strong, strapping boys that worked with him, and they did great work. But in the mid-1950s, something was happening in America of building up a lot of stuff. You know, post-war and everything was building up, changing. So, so they saw an opportunity as an area of the United States was building up called the Keys, Key West and all the islands down there. 1956, they moved down there, got a place in Coral Gables, and then over uh, on the island of Marathon, which I think is just beyond the five-mile bridge, they had a, uh, a mobile home that they used for base of operations. I can remember going down there. I was like six years old. And we would go down every year. So every year we were going down there. But I remember going down there the first time. We went down, drove down the marathon. I was fascinated by going on a bridge that never stopped. Five miles of that bridge. And we got to the place in Marathon. It was night. And so we, they unlocked the thing. We went inside and looked around. And everything was just dark. Everything was dark. Curtains, everything. Turned on a light and... Grandma shook the curtains, and suddenly the curtains turned white, and the air turned black. Mosquitoes like you have never seen before. Okay, So I've kind of been in something like that in, in a cold place. I went back outside for a while because there were less mosquitoes outside than there were on the inside. <coughs> and Kathy will tell you a story about Jackson Hole, Wyoming sometime if you ask her, and the mosquitoes there. But anyway, the, magi the magicians could not duplicate this they recognized and acknowledged verse 19 look at this this is the first acknowledgement the finger of god the finger of god god is working in these things so the magicians are no longer tricked are doing their tricks then <coughs> the fourth plague a swarm of flies. Now, there is a play on words here. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 8, this comes very ominous. He says, if you will not let my people go. And here's the play on words. Behold, I will send. Now, actually, it's the same Hebrew word here on the verbs. So if I could put it this way, if you will not send my people, I will send something to you. So Pharaoh and his people now have to endure an infestation of flies or a combination of flies, various insects, basically, that is biting them, verse 24 says. <clears throat> Our first experience uh, coming to Virginia, I was born here, but I was only here like two months. Um, and when we, came, we came here in 1987 on a trip, Kathy and I and three girls. And uh, we were coming, it was around my birthday time in May, and we decided we wanted to go see Jamestown, historical roots. How many of you have ever been in Jamestown in May? What's that? That's, that's the reason. <laughs> Do you know what happens down there? You ever heard of deer flies? Uh, you, you, know how I, you know how we saw Jamestown? Wow, this is really a beautiful place. <laughs> Literally, we've got the pictures of our girls huddled under coats trying to keep the flies from biting them. 
it, it's not good. So, so here they, they've got these biting flies, these biting insects, all of them. And verse 24, throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. They were eating all of the, the vegetation there. Now, this, this is an interesting one because this, is, this plague has a lot of first to it. Here's a couple of them I've listed here. I'll give you a couple of others, too. This is the first time the staff is not used. The staff of God that was in Moses' hand that Aaron used. That, that staff made that kind of circuit. It's the first time also that there was a distinction made between the Egyptians and the people of God. I think the reason for that was this is the first time that the body was being attacked. And so here people were being bitten, but not the Hebrews. You see this in verse 21, verse 23, also in chapter 9, verse 4, chapter 11, verse 7. God, at this point on, where things are getting worse by the moment, he is protecting his people in the midst of all the turmoil. I think it was, a, you asked a question last week about how many, you know, these plagues were the people affected. At this point, where it affected their bodies, no. And you say, well, well, why didn't God protect them in the other part of it? Did they have to have frogs and stuff like that too? I think it's like simply like this. When Ian struck the coast of Florida recently, did the houses where God's people live get hit as well as the others? Yeah. We live in a world. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where there's judgment. We endure natural disasters. We endure things like that. Because that's just a part of our commonality as being humans. But here, God now is going to start touching their bodies. And so, what this tells us is that, and that this brings ruin. The first time that we're seeing it bring ruin, verse 24. And it's the first time that Moses speaks a name that he did not know. It's in verse 28. He uses the name Yahweh. Verse 24, came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and his servants. Throughout all the days of Egypt, they were ruined swarms of flies. And then Pharaoh called Moses there to go sacrifice to your God within the land. And, and uh, Moses then replied to him. So for the first time, he's talking about the name of God. He's referring to Moses' God. I got time for one more. <clears throat> hmm. This is one of the slides from Santorini when Kathy. No, 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 no. This is not from Santorini. Uh, you may recognize this God, or you may not. What animal is this God? It's a it's a cow. Okay, it's Hathor, H A T H O R. Hathor. What, what, what is Hathor wearing between the horns? A disc. What is that? Amun-Ra. It's, it's, it's the sun god. Symbol of the sun god again there. Um, also, if you see this stella, at the top of that stella you will see a, a bull. Apis, A-P-I-S, another of the gods. Here's another where we clearly there's there's linkage. And so I mention this because now we come to that fifth plague, which is the death of livestock. Uh, with the gnats or mosquitoes, we saw the finger of God. But look at chapter nine, verse three. Now the hand of God comes down with greater force. Behold, the hand of God will fall with a very severe plague on your livestock. But Moses adds this, that God's people, Israel, their livestock will not suffer or be killed in this time. Moses sets the time. He says, this is going to happen tomorrow. You let the people go. Or tomorrow, this is going to happen. And the clock starts ticking in 9-5. Imagine the impact on the people as this came to pass. Okay, so some live, livestock died. How many of you have livestock? Some of you will. How many of you have livestock? 
Okay, I thought we would have some in here to have livestock. What, you're not dependent on livestock? You mean you have cars? You have Kroger? You have Wegmans? You have whatever? <laughs> okay. For these people, their livestock was their food. It was their fresh milk. It was their meat. It provided their clothing. It provided their transportation. Everything. You're talking about a total disruption of society, of the culture here. So livestock provides so much for them, and, and now death stalks the land in verse 6 everywhere except the Hebrew villages. And, and Pharaoh is disturbed enough <clears throat> that, look at verse 7, he sends some of his people out. Go check out the Hebrew. Is this really right? I mean, are, are, it's not happening to them. It's happening to us and not to them. Why is that? Well, he said, <laughs> God was true to his word. Pharaoh remains stubborn. Well, I've got two more minutes. You want? Well, let me stop there. Have questions to this point? We've got six, seven, eight, nine on that, and then moving forward. Okay. Was this helpful? Uh, did you learn some things today? Uh, hopefully you did, and we'll come back next week, and we'll get to the real point. What's the point of all these plagues? What is the point of all these plagues? To beat a man down? Beat him in submission to punish him? No, it comes to the point it's all about God, Yahweh. And we're going we're gonna to learn about four things or so of, of what we glean from all these chapters about what God has revealed about himself to us. And that will be a blessing to you, I know. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your people. And thank you that we are your people. Uh, we read stories like this and we wonder, why can't Pharaoh turn to you? But I thank you that you in your divine grace and calling have called us to be your people. And help us, therefore, to be faithful, to believe and obey your command for us to live in this world so differently that others can see our great God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Bless you.